Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, Blade Disgusting's horror video game podcast. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Bolt. And this week we're chatting about our hands-on time with a number of demos for up-and-coming games, courtesy of Steam's NextFest, as well as a trio of titles I played as a part of the Tribeca 2022 Festival. But, you know, before we actually dive into demos, uh, let's chat about recently announced news for Resident Evil Village, a game that you and I both covered extensively last year, and we finally got our first uh, inkling of news in regards to DLC content. So, Neil, what was uh, what was announced for this? So, we had a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, we knew about certain bits beyond this like the uh, ports we were getting for next-gen consoles for the earlier games, uh, 2, 3, and 7, that had already happened. Um, so this was just pretty much all village stuff that they'd been saying, oh, we're going to do whatever. And so, yes, we have a whole new story DLC expansion, which I assume will go somewhere along the lines of what they did with 7, where they had a lot of like smaller pieces put together, like End of Zoe and Not a Hero, that took different tones and brought up some interesting sort of, you know, they felt like cut content in the right way, you know, um, especially with the video format they played with in that game that made it feel like it was oh, just like, here's another tape that fits this story. That worked well. Um, here it's basically um, a, a semi-sequel, by the seems of it, because it goes based on the ending of that game um, where it shoots forward in time and baby Rose is no longer hanging around in jars. She's a grown up <laughs> girl who's under some sort of protection and obviously has some sort of you know, menacing power, it seems. Um, yeah. So the demo, it seems she's going back to that. They showed it was like, like she's going back to the places that, you know, we'd seen in village, um, it seems like everyone's connected to the, the mold, you know, like it was suggested at the end of that game and that she's sort of tapping into memories from that. And so anyone corrupted by the mold is like in there. So you have weird versions of different characters and little uh, recalls to places she's already been. And Well, sorry, not she's already been, or Ethan had already been. Yeah, so that was an interesting sort of look at uh, the future because I thought that would be saved for a sequel, you know, a proper, but maybe it's, like an interim thing to sort of get used to Rose as a character for Resident Evil 9. Do you think so? Yeah, I would say that that's probably a safe bet, right? The idea that it's going to introduce us to the way in which she handles or if, you know, they try to include some sort of powers element to her, maybe. You know, this is one of those kind of crossing points for Resident Evil where it's like, okay, are they going to stay in the lane of seven and eight that has proved to be, you know, not only critically, but from the fandom, like been received well. And with the idea of like exploring the fact like born from the mold and all of these things, like it could go more supernatural, which then might lead us down a path that, you know, personally, and you probably feel similarly in terms of like the direction that it went with like six and uh, five and six for Resident Evil, right? Where it kind of started to go off the rails a little bit. And I think that it'll be an interesting way, uh, balance, you know, between the new direction. And then maybe they start to kind of go more in this route of, you know, it's not just survival horror, but now there's more of an action emphasis maybe. And that might have something to do with the fact that they're returning to the, you know, that third person uh, perspective, which I believe 
the Shadows of Rose is only in third person, and then the mm. third person mode is also being added to base game Village. Yeah, uh, as which well. was, you know, that was a big surprise, really, of anything we got to actually take a game that does very much feel like you know it was made for first person in in every way. I mean, we talk about certain aspects of the game before that just work because you are viewing it from that first person perspective. I mean. I suppose it'll still work to some degree. It's just that maybe the impact won't be the same. But then, to be honest, some of that impact's never going to be the same if you've already played the game. <laughs> right. But sure, I think it'll be a nice, refreshing change, and it takes Resi back to what it was. And again, it feels like it's some sort of hint for what the future may be. I think possibly the next Resident Evil mainline one will end up being a choice thing where you can go between the two. Um, the Evil Within two. You know, did this first if we want to be a bit finicky about this, you know, and sort of adding uh, another perspective after development had happened. They did first person when they'd already had third. But so, yeah, I'm really interested to see how it plays out in a third person perspective at all on that one. That's going to be a good one. And we got new mercenaries stuff, which, you know, it was the the monkey's poor version of the Lady Dimitrescu fans <laughs> out there wanting more Lady Dimitrescu. It's like, fine, you can have her. In mercenaries, and that's right. it. <laughs> so, fair enough. But, oh, and uh, old Heisenberg as well, which I was more excited about because, yeah, he's secretly a much better character, you know, than he's <laughs> I mean, he actually has something to do for most of the game for a start. So, but yes, it's a nice little uh, packet of things we got for the game coming up, and looking forward to that. I must say. Breathing new life into a few games and the franchise all over again. It's a, it's a good job, Capcom. <laughs> More mercenaries is always a good thing. But also, I actually just had to go back and check because I thought I had misremembered. But apparently, uh, Reverse is going to finally be launched alongside this DLC uh, on October twentieth. <laughs> yeah, I completely <laughs> forgot until you know a few moments ago. But that's the type of thing where I'm intrigued to see how that has progressed since because i believe it was originally supposed to launch with village right initially but of course they delayed it i think after uh some beta testing that i don't believe went as intended (laughs) which might be putting it lightly yeah and this again it was shocking only because capcom pretty much notoriously canned every multiplayer resi experience they can that isn't like a mainline part of the game so, you know, we've had the shit stuff like Umbrella Corps and Operation Raccoon City. And then you've had all the little bits that we had, like Resistance, which, you know, had its fans. But, you know, I think we discussed it when we were talking about Evil Dead with Brandon. And he brought that up, how it had aspects of it that translated well to that game. But, yeah, ultimately, it didn't do what they wanted it to do. So they just dropped it like a potato and that was it. Um, so yeah, to see them actually come back and and persevere with this is admirable. I just hope that it's going to be more and they just haven't thought, we'll just leave it for a while and then bring it out later when everyone's a bit happier with, <laughs> general, <laughs> with Resident Evil. Uh, I, I guess they just didn't want that stink on Village at the time. And it was like, yeah, no, we'll, we'll leave that. There. But yeah, props to them for this time actually trying again and, get, and giving it a go. Who knows? Maybe it will be 
Yeah, it won't. Like, there's not going to be anything special. Like, I, mean, <laughs> well, I know we're all about positive, <laughs> positive thinking on here, but it, it's just the idea in general, unless it got a massive rework, just doesn't seem like it's going to work. For the same reason many Capcom multiplayer things don't work, they fail to kind of understand what makes Resident Evil work. And that, yes, why Mercenaries is a good thing, you know, why it's persevered because it has something about Resi to it. You know, it's got that speedrunning style um, survival aspect to it that um, but puts it in a new light. Much like Outbreak did back in the day where it's like, here's the classic Resident Evil experience, but with other people and just too early. So do that. Well, I just recently made a post about that where I was just like, I would love for them to do another type of multiplayer incorporation into Resident Evil that's more about rewarding, you know, not only cooperative play with people, but at the same time, like that ties directly into that core Resident Evil gameplay. And just the idea of them doing a multiplayer game, like from what little I know about Verse, it's just, I'm very, you know, I don't even know if I would say I'm optimistically hesitant about it. I'm just very hesitant uh, waiting to see because I'm afraid that what they've done in the, you know, the year that's passed is given something a glow up rather than, you know, fundamentally rebuilding it from the ground up, so to speak, or reworking the overall sort of just ethos behind what that experience would be like. And so, you know, as somebody that doesn't necessarily feel like they need to have multiplayer in a Resident Evil game or universe. No. I think I'm st- like it's interesting to kind of see what the end product will finally be and having it come to fruition. But at the same time, I'm just kind of like, Ish, like walking on it and pins and needles just to wait and see, like, is this just going to be multiplayer Resident Evil or is this going to actually add a new facet to, mm-hmm. you know, the Resident Evil universe in a sort of meaningful way? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's what you'd hope. But as I said, I've played Umbrella Court and that, that <laughs> alone tells me that. Probably not. <laughs> Capcom, for all their re- redemption stories, have uh, still put that out during the good run. So we shall see. But on the note of um, multiplayer in horror games and uh, their usefulness, something that sort of cropped up at the end of last week, you know, before we really got into it more, was that on Redfall, um, which is the fact that it is designed to be played either with or without people. The caveat there being it has one of those silly systems of like all these things carry over if you, you know, your items, blah, 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 and your personal progress, but story progress does not carry over if you go into someone else's game, which is, it's hard to make work. And I get why. And if, if it's taking anything that Arcane have done before, then I understand because you could make minute changes to the world, the story that you would start causing problems, I'd imagine. So in a way I get that it's just disappointing, but the fact that it is able to be played in single player as a single player game with a story and like that means that I'm more excited for it than I was, you know, as much as I like the idea of the multiplayer stuff, I like more the fact that it's still designed with that old arcane style in mind and that you can play it on your own. That, that, that to me, is a relief in a mm. way. You know, Not that I was ever thinking doom and gloom, but I just thought well, it, it's nice that they've got that to sit back on and go, well, no, you know, we can offer this to 
anyone, you know. And the multiplayer is like uh, an extra in a way, you know, it's, it's key part of it too. So yeah, I'm, I'm much even happier than I was last week about <laughs> that. Now that that game is uh, just shaping up to be fan dabby daisy. Yeah. And I can't wait. We're going to have the opportunity, hopefully, you know, with sometime soon to get our hands on that and mm. finally get to see that come to fruition. But let's get into uh, some demos that we played over the course of the last week. And I think that as is usually the case, we've amassed a variety of, you know, horror and a couple that are horror adjacent experiences that I think kind of run the gamut of multitude of experiences. And then at mm. the same time, I think that it really just further kind of reinforces the idea that even if, you know, we we started last week's show chatting about a lot of like big AAA horror titles, I think this week is going to kind of reestablish and give focus to some that it would be very easy for them to fly under the radar, so to speak. But yeah. I walked away for from a majority of these demos, like incredibly impressed and further reinforcing just the uh, the large number of talent that is involved within, again, you know, horror or horror adjacent, but again, not overly relying on some of these, you know, at this point they might be game design tropes or aesthetical tropes. And yet, even for the ones that I think might have seemed familiar on the surface, they all added their own creative, unique kind of avenue to everything, whether it be gameplay or storytelling. So let's uh, let's start first with Trepang 2 from developer Trepang Studios, published by Team 17 Digital, and with yeah. uh, Trepang 2, I very much found that this felt like a love child of like fear, a little bit of crisis, a little bit of Max Payne, where you play this unnamed soldier that's essentially broken out of a maximum high security prison, and you yeah. essentially have to fight through waves of soldiers and whatnot. And it is you know a first-person shooter that has different superpowers essentially that are kind of like given to the player where you can slow down time, you know, your bullet mm. time, you can cloak periodically, you can kind of do this almost like gun foo where you're sliding around corners or you're grabbing guys and, you know, throwing them into squads of other guys. Um, but, you know, for as simplistic as that sounds, there is sort of this like bullet fest bliss behind it where it is yeah. super highly destructible environments uh, gallons of blood and gore and it makes for you know in a the most like refined from a presentation standpoint of those types of games that i just mentioned and the sort of influences and whatnot so how did you get on with trepang 2 oh yeah this, this did it for me big time i mean it's we've talked so much about like games that tap into nostalgia and yeah many of them do it in a very very retro way this is more about the feel you know it feels like a game of a certain era um you know it's a bit like you know there's a bit of soldier of fortune in there as well with the gore levels and it's just just so well paced that demo you know it's like yeah it starts pretty much at the start of the game you know where you are escaping you're still cuffed and you're trying to avoid contact with these you know, death squads effectively coming to get you and you hide in the shadows and so you've got stealth you've got the cloaking system as you said and it feels genuinely tense and it's building and building up to that point and then you get into gunfights and it's just like it feels punchy and really high octane and you know it while it took a little while to sort of get used to what the controls did and you know because there's a lot of different like button this for this button that for that and you know 
the, the curse of being in a light room at the wrong time did hit initially when I played it as well. So it's like, I can't quite see what that is. It's like, um, but yeah, and then it just, it goes into interesting places, you know, and it's still early on in the game and oof, I just, I, I very much want to play more of this. It is just proper, super violent machismo fest, you know, that which is, not me as a person, but as a, uh, the idea appeals you know, so much about it. It's just it has a vibe that totally go. I go for that sort of thing. Most highly packaged uh, visceral violence of you know this sort of capturing an older school of action first person shooter games, and yet again, you know, it has a few more modern touches to it, like the superpower stuff and whatnot. And yeah. there seems to be, in terms of the narrative. Um, there seems to be like there's some type of like conspiracy tied up into everything and what's really going on. Why have you been freed and those things, which who knows, could be interesting to see how they handle that and incorporate that, whether that will be uh, a hindrance on the gameplay and kind of like bogging you down with a lot of this kind of narrative and conspiracy stuff you might not end up caring about or if they are able to, you know, incorporate it into some cool ways. Um, because in the demo that we played, they have it, what I believe is referred to as the prologue, which is you escaping and going through these waves. And it very much is this linear chunk of a game. And then there's one side mission, which is the second part of the demo I was not as keen on, where it's more like you're going from these different stations to basically hack into computers. And then you have to wait 90 seconds while fighting off waves of soldiers. Um, and that side of things I didn't enjoy as much just because yeah. it was a little more free flowing it was not as you know tightly constructed as the more linear section of it was um and i think it went on a little too long just in terms of like what i really appreciate about those old school hyper violent first person shooter games for the most part is that those levels felt like they were just as long and i'm speaking mostly in terms of something like fear right those levels yeah. were just as long as they needed to be before i feel like i almost would get burnt out on you know that gameplay loop whereas with the sort of free-flowing nature of just running around a nondescript office building at my leisure and just fighting off waves and, you know, the sort of regimented, oh, I'm going to go to a chest and buy more armor or buy more guns before the next wave shows up. That part I didn't think was as good of a display or as tightly constructed of a display of what this demo did so well, but that prologue, I think, was a lot of fun. And if all of the story missions are something along that line and just seeing the other ways that they can kind of play around with the superpowers that your guy has and the uh, the bullet hell that will ensue. I think uh, think that game will shape up to be something really, really fun. Yeah. I mean, I, I liked where the story was quite background stuff, but there, you know, again, that felt very much like early 2000s PC stuff where, the, you know, it's telling you a story, but not telling you a story. If you're, and you have this ambiguity to it that is part, you know, just it used to be then part like case of well we don't want we don't really have much to go on so we'll just be vague whereas now I think you know there's a plan and a mystery unraveling and I like that it's there you know I think it's you know even if it doesn't turn out to be like an amazing story I think it will serve as a nice backdrop for what they're doing we got to be on the lookout for that one I'm sure that we'll be uh we'll be chatting about that the further towards uh its release that we get but uh, let's move on to SCP Secret Files, which is from developer Gemzu Studio and published by Pixmane. And this one sees an agent for the SCP, which 
correct me if I'm wrong, but that's along the lines of being something kind of like the X-Files, right? They investigate supernatural events and anomalies and do research into it. Yeah. It's um, Secure, Contain, Protect, I think is the the, uh, acronym, basically, Um, which is in a wide, you know, there's a podcast on this very network. Yep. It does that very thing. So um, it's, um, yeah, basically just goes into the weird and the wild and the crazy stuff that can be out there and it's a way to tie that together. And so this basically does that, that very thing. You know, it's a bunch of stories that have, go different places and take on different ideas. And it's kind of refreshing to see in a way that you have something that isn't just so very traditionally anthology horror. You know, it's saying a bit, there's strange stuff, there's sinister stuff, and it goes to very mundane places and makes something out of them. You know, I like that about it. It's um, got a nice art style as well. It's just very simple in in a way, but um, just, what's the way to describe it? It just highlights the right points. You know, it doesn't waste anything on screen. Mm -hmm. So I really did quite like the demo. I'd like to sort of, again, play more of it to really get a proper impression of it and see how it all rounds out. I I noticed there were a few games going along these lines. You know, it's the next thing with next to backroom stuff that is like one of those things where people are, oh, yeah, we'll make a game out of that because name. But this feels like it's really at least going with what it, you know, it's understanding what it is and it's using... The SCP stuff to really tie a bunch of good stories together, it seems. So I'm hopeful on this one. I, I, it's giving me a good vibes, I have to say. Yeah, I really appreciated it first and foremost, like just the product overall production value, right? And the narrative and how it cuts between, you know, your character being interrogated and then being in their shoes for the general investigation yeah. into this anomaly and this event. Um, and, you know, as somebody that's new to the SCP sort of, side of things or storytelling and whatnot. Um, I thought it was a really great just overall introduction to the concept and then diving into a supernatural event that feels like it's kind of not cribbing, but it feels very initially like built off of something that you've probably heard before or scary stories that you're familiar with, but takes it into really interesting avenues, I think. And the way in which kind of like you had said, the fact that the beginning of it, the layout is almost of the mundane or just very routine and then seeing the ways in which they're able to really make that pop within this universe. Right. I think that yeah, this game, it does a good job early on from establishing this as like a believable setting. And then, you know, it gets, it progresses more and more into the supernatural, but it never does so in a way that I don't know, sometimes with my personal taste in horror or like sci-fi horror and things, it, I get turned off when things get, too outlandish too quickly, right? It's more about like a peppering of it early on that you can see where it's building. And then you have that big crescendo moment of a reveal or you have those major scares and whatnot. And I'll say that, you know, this game for what it does in such a short amount of time during the demo, like has some really profoundly disturbing imagery, I think, especially like that one of the final shots in the demo, which we won't get into. But yeah, Yeah, I guess if you're into these types of like supernatural storytelling or kind of like uncovering the mystery of what went wrong at a facility. Like it had a lot of control vibes, I think from the storytelling side of things. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Control definitely taps heavily into that. And I think that's why it 
did so well as a game anyway because it just had those this does feel in very many ways like an offshoot of it where oh here's a game of spin-off stories you know that uh but that's what's cool about it you know you have something that feels familiar to a game that many people have played and yeah just runs with that ball and yeah it doesn't take to a main story focus of much and says no no let's really delve into these side stories and really push what's going on in them you know and that, which felt like in certain parts of control it would be nice to do at some point where it was like oh i'd love to know more about that the path behind that and you read up on something and you know the strength of that game was that you could read the documents forever and just get so much good out of them which is a rarity in games these days so yeah it is i really did enjoy sort of what they've offered on it so far Definitely a strong showing in that regard. But let's move on to Angerfoot, which is from developer Free Lives and published by Devolver Digital. Uh, I would describe this game as Hotline Miami kind of meets Duke Nukem, where you're (laughs) set up in these sort of like speed running centric. uh, It's first and foremost, it's first person shooter perspective and whatnot. And you're speed running your way through these apartment complexes, underground layers full of tracksuit wearing crocodiles and gangsters and whatnot that want to kill the player. And you can only take, you know, a hit or two before you die, but your main weapon to, you know, dispatch these foes that you deal with is your foot, and you're going Mm -hmm. to be kicking lots and lots of creatures and bad guys and parts of the environment and whatnot, in addition to, you know, picking up firearms that different uh, baddies drop and whatnot. How did you uh, find Angerfoot? Oh, it's, yeah, delightfully stupid in the best way. It's just... (laughs) The, the concept is great. It, it's making no bones about the kind of game it is. The fact that, you know, you're in shit city. Yeah. <laughs> it says it all. It's like, it's, I was immediately like, oh yeah, this is absolutely going to run with this idea. And just like little touches of it as well, you know, just the use of the foot for different things. It just, <laughs> the storytelling as well. It is an odd thing, but yeah, the music. Um, is part of it, you know, there's this concussive, as they put it, a bass soundtrack, just really ramps up as you go into certain situations, and that seems to be like the emerging theme of what Doom and Doom Eternal have brought to the table for first person games now, is that, you know, big soundtrack, and making it integral to how the game flows, which I'm all for, you know, we were talking about Metal Hellsinger last week, and uh, that, that is a great example of that where you know you build and you build and you build and the higher your combo goes the more of the, the song comes in and that's just marvelous but here it just feels like i almost like it to it's like if crank was in the world of teenage mutant ninja turtles you know just it's like that it's just, it's this scummy shitty world and like you're just going through like you've literally got seconds to live all the time yeah and it, yeah, chugging down anything. The fact you can get customizable shoes and change different <laughs> shoe styles that have different power. It just yeah, it's no surprise. Devolver have picked this up. Let's put it that way. It feels one hundred percent like a Devolver game. And yeah, I just yeah, the look of it is just cool. Again, it just has this very adult cartoon early two thousands ish feel to it. Again, this very much my personal niche so yeah it's yeah hotline miami is a good 
shout as well because of the, you know, the almost instant death in some situations. It does feel like that. But uh, And the soundtrack, again, as a combination, definitely works in its favour. So, yeah, I think it's using a lot of previously conceived ideas in its own very uh, stylish way. Yeah, you know, I like how it's able to take all those different influences and make it into something that feels like it's not just it's not just notable because it's cribbing from several different things, right? Yeah. It does take those influences and makes it an experience that it's its own. And you know, I would say of almost anything that we played, it's the one that I immediately wanted to just have more act like more levels yeah. to. Um, because, you know, there's something about kicking a door into a guy and then, you know, picking up his gun and killing a guy and then as soon as you run out of ammo, throw the gun which like stuns characters and then you can run up and just kick yes. that guy into somebody else. Like there's a really fantastic ebb and flow to the fluidity of movement, but also the way in which you're basically just stringing along each combo for different, you know, ways to get through an environment until you get barely a second to catch your breath before the next room. And, you know, I think that yeah. uh, there's an abrasiveness to the world that co- is complemented by largely, you know, the violence, but also that soundtrack, like you've noted, that's blaring in the background um, in a way that just makes for a, you know, a very tense, <laughs> which is not something I generally describe for like these kind of um, almost score attack type games or speed running focus type games. But it does add a lot of te- intensity to that, um, despite, you know, the way that it might look or the fact that you're trying to kill uh, tracksuit wearing crocodiles and whatnot. But yeah, the Angerfoot was a good deal of fun and um, I'm definitely looking forward to diving into more of that. Yeah, it's... um, I'd describe its colour palette as something along like a toxic tracksuit from the 90s. So it's <laughs> yeah. just like that's been doused in Mountain Dew. It's yeah. pretty much that. <laughs> it's uh, very particular. So yeah, that's going to be an interesting one to see how it plays out <laughs> on a longer level on that one. Yeah. And, you know, the gameplay, I love that it is refined enough that the joke works, right? That's kind of like yeah. one of our things that we've mentioned a couple of times. Um, the fact that, like, you can have a game that either looks ridiculous or, by and large, like, kind of feels like a gag in terms of how ludicrous different factors can be about it. But if the gameplay stands up to the test of, you know, that gameplay loop then that all works in a way that kind of eludes other games where you sit down and it's like, oh, this is just the joke is the only thing here, whereas the gameplay maybe yeah. doesn't hold up quite as well. But, you know, Angerfoot, I think, nails that in a way that uh, is difficult to do. And so, yeah, definitely looking forward to more of that. Yeah. I mean, that I will say, the last thing I'll say on it is that I was so worried it would be a one-trip pony you know, at that because it does just scream gimmick, gimmick, gimmick from that first look at it. But it does seem to have some substance to it you know and uh that's to its massive credit you know, that you can tell that already even in demo form yeah well now taking things in the opposite direction in a less hyper violent uh <laughs> adrenaline kicking fueled nature we're gonna go into well, the cub it could <laughs> it, it could in some ways i think but uh <laughs> but more the uh the action would be in the real world i think and uh but yes, the cub yep. um, from Demagogue a, Studio. Yes, a two D platformer set in a post apocalyptic world, basically a re- retelling of the Jungle Book in in that terms. So you're having this sort of washed out world that has an almost neon color to it, a very particular art style that's 
beautiful. You know, it, it was a game that struck me when it was at Tribeca. You know, that it, I was like, oh, I must do this. You know, I must see more of this. And luckily, this one was available on NextFest, so I didn't have to worry about missing appointments or anything for that one. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I was umming and ahhing about putting it on here originally, you know, and then say when we were sort of recommending demos to play, but. Something struck me when I was listening to the Tribeca stuff and they were talking about, you know, their influ- one of their influences was the game Heart of Darkness, which, you know, was like one of the first PS1 games I got with when we actually got a PS1 in our house. And that game is massively unpleasant and unbearable. You know, it, it's, it was, it looked lovely. It was like that post another world flashback type of game where, you know, there's a big effort to made to, to see the game look really good and, the animation flows really well, but as a game is bastard hard. I mean, not actually double bastard hard. <laughs> and, you know, for a game that seems like it's about, you know, it's a kid's game and like that, and it was oof. But I tell you what, I really felt that influence in the Cub, and, but less unpleasant, which is nice. <laughs> I, was, I, I was intrigued to see what they would take away from Heart of Darkness, which was the deceptively simple nature of it and how hard it gets and how brutal and bleak it actually was which you know that was a good takeaway of Heart of Darkness um, but to play it was you know despite all that a pain you know and an unfair pain that didn't always seem to uh, fit with what was going on um, but here a little better you know I think it's not quite as unforgiving but it, it did have little moments for me where it just felt like, oh God, this is going to be one of those. I'm, I'm hoping it's that's just uh, getting used to it. But God, it looks gorgeous and yeah. sounds good. And I you know, basically got parkouring platforming as well in it. Yeah, I really love the world it's in. I, I want to see more of the game based on that. You know, it's not it's the least horror-y game we've picked of the lot, but there's something about it that sort of made me go, oh, yeah. I like it. I just think that I hope I like it enough that I don't want to end up kicking the TV and at the end of it. <laughs> How about you? How do you do? I think that the horror nature of the game is more about, you know, the apocalyptic yeah. setting, right? How you're basically exploring the ruins of the old world, as it were, um, yes. which, you know, I think is the more obviously morose part or melancholic part of the game. But then again, at the same time, like, it doesn't lose sight of the fact that like you're a child exploring this world. So there is this fantastical element to everything that doesn't make it be this overall kind of like downtrodden or bummer of a, uh, (laughs) an exploration through the world, which I think is a great contrast, right? Because it Mm. kind of comes across this joyfulness almost in exploring through the color palettes, like you said, and you get these sprawling landscapes and whatnot. And it's more specifically like the music, and these radio stations, which, you know, I would say yeah. it the radio station does something that I always loved that the radio stations in Grand Theft Auto did. <laughs> you know, content yeah. is vastly different. But in terms of <laughs> establishing the sentiment about the world or about sort of just people's views on things, I think that the radio station does that well with little bits of dialogue from like, the DJ that's leading in songs or just like giving out little bits of information or things of that nature um, does a good job at establishing just overall, like 
making the player feel as if they're not missing out on a great deal of background information or this or that. Um, but I think more importantly, like the music itself channels that sort of, again, uplifting nature of being a kid and exploring and kind of tapping into the jungle book, uh, side of things like you had mentioned. Um, so that element I think was really strong in this. And the other thing that I appreciated about it was the verticality of the environments, right? I would almost compare it to something along the lines of like one of those Rayman games, right? But at the same time, the world is so highly detailed, but there's different layers to the world and there's little sort of nooks and crannies that yeah. are inconsequential overall. But at the same time, like it gives you these little moments of exploring the world in another facet, or at least it makes it feel like you're exploring the history of the world and whatnot. Like there's one section where you basically find an old bank vault uh, that's down below the surface and whatnot. And, mm. you know, Overall, that doesn't do much in terms of like giving you more information about the world or progressing or anything. And I believe it's a missable section because you can either progress on the surface or you can kind of venture down into the catacombs a little bit. But just Mm -hmm. little moments like that that are reflective of what the world that you're exploring currently used to be like. That's one of those things that I appreciate. And it's a a little anecdotal thing, but Mm -hmm. I appreciate that variety and giving the player more options to explore, which sometimes with 2D side scrollers that can be, you know, the oversimplified view of them where it's like you just move from left to right. But it's like giving them more variation, the ways to explore. Yeah. I'm appreciative of that. It's the little things. Yeah, it's like um the anti play dead game sort of thing mm. in a way. It's um using the environment in that 2D nature and having a story going on in the background, but not quite as bleak, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, if it reminded me of anything like aesthetically, it was um, a Netflix animation series, uh, Keepo in the Age of Wonder Beasts, which has the same sort of like post apocalyptic, washed out neon gl- sort of feel to it. Which, um, yeah, so I like that about it, and I think even the music kind of had that a bit of that too. So, yeah, I'm really intrigued to see how the rest of this game turns out as well and I, I know that's pretty much been the way of most of these things but that, that's what demos do for you <laughs> and if a good demo will make you go yep I, i'd like to see more of this so job done there yeah that was definitely one that uh i think it looks fairly simplistic from afar but getting your hands mm. on it it's the type of thing that uh you definitely kind of want to dive right back into as soon as it wraps up yes uh okay so one more for the, this half, I'd say, before we take a break. And uh, that's The Fridge is Red by Sword Team, which is a horror anthology series in that PSX style, which uh, is hitting all the right notes straight away out of the gate. You know, that's uh, it's a popular bunch of trends. But So the question is, can it do something interesting and different with that? Um, and I think it does. You know, I think um, telling it with this uh, you know, titular fridge... And the idea that you take items out of the fridge to play different segments of the story. They have like, I mean, uh, the one that comes to mind is the, um, what's it called? The daddy, uh, God, I forgot the name of it. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's for daddy to me. work. For daddy to work. That's it. Um, yeah, which is like food with like a note on it. And that takes you into this office and you end up doing this you know closing down all your stuff for the day because you've 
just fun found out that it's really late and then you go out into the out of the office and everything's weird naturally and you take an elevator that does weird things you know the buttons fall out and there's little eyes wiggling behind them you put them back in and it squishes the eyes and then you go down into a trip to hell basically in the basement <laughs> and things just get weird it's very weird um so yeah I mean, naturally the vibe for this is very good i mean despite going for the retrograde sort of visual style there was some really good lighting good you know good reflections especially it just it felt like a more polished game than it looked you mm. know it's like it's honing that idea of what the game can be and that scuzziness that really appeals about the psx style horror games but giving it something that feels a bit more modern in there without it feeling jarring and yeah i, I really enjoyed that part of it and enjoyed the weird places it started going <laughs> um i again it's hard to judge it as a whole yet but obviously because it being a demo and you know that the idea is you're supposed to find out this mystery of this fridge um when everything comes to it but um the stories you do get uh, are very interesting uh, you know and you know, not necessarily the, the strongest and you start rolling your eyes when the lift does you know start hurtling down and it says hell and you're just like oh, yeah okay <laughs> it's a, because you in fairness you kind of expect it to end there at that point and oh you're gonna get the doors open some sort of jump scare at the end next bit but no that's like literally the setup for the story you know that you're this next section you're going through so i was pleased that there was more to it than that and that's why it's uh getting the recognition i think it is out this last week because it is the next step in these games you know where you are going to have stronger collections that keep pushing in different directions and trying new things and we were just saying this before about scp as well where it's taking these established ideas that are going on over and over again from developers and trying new things with them, you know, and having that sort of science fiction edge there works for that. And here it's not the same kind of horror stories we've been getting necessarily. So I, it's got a bit of, you know, Dread X collection stuff to it in terms of you know, naturally, but, but um, yeah, I, I'm very happy with what we've got. But yeah, I'd like to see more. Ready to sort of see if the, if the steam can keep going. Yeah, good amount of variety. I thought it also, you know, has a level of restraint that sometimes some yeah. of the games that use this aesthetic lack. Right? Yes. I think that, and that might be attributable to the fact that when you're playing something like this, generally it's one of those you know bite-sized experiences. Mm. They last probably 15 minutes, if that, and whatnot. So they have a short amount of time. They have to get those scares in there. Whereas with something like this, you know, it being a full-fledged release, like it just feels as if like they're going to approach the atmosphere and then incorporating scares into that in a way that maybe is a little yeah. more level-headed or feels a little more methodically planned out. Uh, I'll say there's one jump scare in this that, and you know, there are a couple, but one in particular caught me off guard. Not that it was, you know, implementing scares in a manner that I hadn't seen before, but it just the game doesn't build you up to expect them at every turn. And I think that that is the most important thing when you get a game that, you know, is tapping into yeah. that lo-fi VHS aesthetic that we've been talking about 
you know, seemingly on a, on a weekly basis uh, <laughs> recently. But it is the type of thing that when you find a game that is as polished, but at the same time, like has the wherewithal to know when to specifically kind of like drop those moments in throughout, it yeah. just sells the entire experience in a way that feels like there's more to it than just let's just get a big reaction out the gate. And then you get burnt out on it probably within the first 20 minutes and you want to move on. So definitely one to keep in mind. And if the first two uh, stories of this anthology are an indication, then the fridge is red is going to shape up to be quite the creepy collection of stories. Yeah. And again, no one I hope will end up going on about at some point in the future. Absolutely. But uh, before we continue with our demo extravaganza, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Gloomwood from Dylan Rogers and Dave Siminski. And we're back from our break to talk about Gloomwood. This is a game that I think we've been hearing about for a while. So it was really mm. great to finally get some hands-on time with Gloomwood, which is this you know Victorian-styled horror game that kind of feels very heavily uh, you know in the same vein as something like Bloodborne, right? You're kind of dropped into this Gothic-style town, and there's something off about it. It's not immediately apparent, but the further you investigate, the more sort of creepy and whatnot, and you encounter uh, yeah. various uh, horrors in the night and whatnot. But what I was most impressed about was, aside from that sort of like aesthetic and setting that I think is probably more popular now than it's ever been, is the incorporation of the survival horror mechanics and the immersive sim nature yeah. of the overall kind of design of Gloomwood. Um, that was something that was really impressive. And even from a demo standpoint, like the amount of options that were available and how you want to maneuver the environment and explore and whatnot and prior and personally prioritize how you want to go through the world. I was really, really uh, impressed by it. And it's something that I can't wait to kind of dive into more because it really is one of those demos that completely sells you on an experience. And while you end the demo wanting more at the same time, like felt very satisfied by what was shown. Uh, how did you get on with Gloomwood? Yeah. In much the same way as, you know, the, the, you know this is made by the people who made Dusk and a Medieval. Um, so, and you can tell in a lot of ways of how it's done. And this is to Thief what Dusk was to Quake, you know, if you will, and to those sort of games. It's, replicating something from the past but doing it in a way that's like wow yeah this is this is really something special i mean dusk to me is that was the first of those or boomer shooters as they call them that truly nailed exactly how i felt about quake as we i think we discussed it when we were talking about quake uh, before on the show that you know that it's great when a game does that and it was the game that made me realize just how much like Quake it was and how little it had to change to be like it. So that idea going into a game that's like an old school immersive sim with survival horror elements. So as you mentioned, Bloodborne, I've mentioned Thief, a bit of nightmare creatures to it as well. Um, yeah. And to see something with this ambition, you know, just shows you where we're going now with indie games, where we are filling those voids that, higher you know bigger publishers are, are leaving behind you know with the exception of say arcane maybe you know in the immersive sim genre so yeah to have something this well thought out and i can see why it's taken time i can see why it's you know, hyped up as much as it is because you know, it is just looking like it's going to deliver on everything it's 
promising. I mean, if it was half the game Dusk was, it would still be a bloody good game. I think it's going to be one hell of an effort, and I think it's going to really, really be a new blood sort of like next level moment. I think as a publisher, we're getting this out here. So yeah, yeah, I. It's not a lot to say without playing more of it again because it's difficult to sort of tap down. But you know, I reference those points like Thief, you know, and the immersive sim stuff because that's what you get from it. It is that, and that's you know, there's stealth, there's different options to go places and do things, there's combat, there's some weird supernatural shit. So it's more got more of a dishonored vibe in that respect. So yeah, I. It's absolutely up my street in so many ways. Um, God, another game. I really need to <laughs> choose playing dark games at night more because <laughs> daytime dark game playing is just impossible on the screen, which is <laughs> uh, an unfortunate side effect. But uh, when your podcast is about horror games and you think, well, that's all right, I can do it all that at any time of the day. No, you can't. <laughs> it's, uh, dark games just do not work in here. <laughs> it's, well, it's the type of game that, you know, without going too much into it or, you know, really it's best to obviously just get your hands on it yourself. But yeah. it is the type of thing that it uses so many foundational gameplay design elements of, you know, the genres and games we've mentioned. But it does it executes on them in a way that is of a caliber mm. that so few actually they themselves will hit that mark, right? I mean, it has that sort of setting and... The aesthetic that we've talked about that is very popular and definitely like is right up both of our lanes. And then it has the gameplay mechanics that back that up in a really satisfying way, even if they aren't necessarily like genre defining or anything. They are, again, of a quality and a uh, level of execution that I think is surprising, you know, and it definitely is one that I can't wait to dive into in some more depth when it's finally released. So next one is Toilet Chronicles. <laughs> <laughs> mainly I picked because the name just sounded stupid um, so this was an interesting idea it's basically you're in 2008 you go into this public restroom at a party and you sit in the, the unit and the guy next to your stall asks for toilet paper and uh, you give him that and he slides you a note saying literally just says stay in the cabin yeah and it's like oh interesting nice idea and then you know it's the door's gone when you get out and you can't get out and it's just it's um basically like a mystery thing from there um the game's gonna have like weird dialogue from there and strange puzzle stuff didn't really land for me though no you know, it's a game you know i i i thought i'd get on with this better but it just i don't know something about it felt a bit too i don't want to say try hard because it's just such an awful thing to say about things like this but it, it just it felt like it was too eager to impress that's that's the better way to put it and yeah i don't sometimes you know you can do that and kind of mask your eagerness you know, by making it seem like you just meant it all casual like and it didn't it just felt I, I, it felt like something else I played I couldn't quite put my finger on it it was like an uh, I think it was an indie game called What Happened 
Well, that goes in different places, but still, it starts in a toilet and goes stranger and stranger from there. But yeah, it just... Yeah, maybe the full game will work out, but I just... Yeah, I I just felt very disconnected from this one. How about you? I, de- I think I definitely enjoyed it more than you for the brief slice that it was, and I appreciated the fact that it was able to incorporate a lot of like sudden absurdist humor in a mm. way that kind of clicked with me. And, you know, for it being called Toilet Chronicles and, you know, being set in a bathroom, um, I liked that it was not overly indulgent in bathroom humor. Like, no, you know what that, I mean? That like, was a relief. <laughs> that's the one thing, right? I probably would have bounced off of it immediately if it had just, that had been the entire gag, right? Where it was like, oh, when that guy sticks his hand under the door, what's the lewdest thing I can put in his hand? You know what I mean? Like it avoids that. <laughs> Even though there is a, what I thought to be a funny gag associated with that, it, it does not incorporate bathroom humor into the type of thing that you can actually yeah. hand him. Um, but, you know, there are lots of little touches that I thought uh, humor wise that were kind of funny or, you know, that maybe they'll be less funny when I say them out loud. But, um, you know, like when you go into the bathroom, you can press C and your character just starts crying. And that's how the guy next door knows that there's somebody in yeah. there. Um, or, you know, the game has 12 different endings based on what you do or what you interact with throughout it. And, you know, that yielded some completely ridiculous results that you can't see coming based on, yeah. you know, what very little you know about the sort of like supernatural workings of this bathroom and whatnot. So in that regard, like I had fun with it. I enjoyed it. There was some elements of dry humor that kind of, you know, uh, were right up my avenue and whatnot. But at the same time, like it was difficult to see how this could be fleshed out into a full fledged experience, right? It felt very much more like, and I don't want it to sound like a disservice, but it sounds like an experience rather than an actual game. Like if you're confined Mm. to that one room, it's like, Oh, how many ridiculous things can we fit into this one room, which I can appreciate. And I would definitely play when it's released. But the idea that this could be stretched out into a full fledged game, something along the lines of like, and you know, they're very different, but like something like Stanley parable, where you're kind of just in a mundane environment and then things become stranger and stranger. I don't necessarily see Toilet Chronicles being in that same lane, but at the same time, like I appreciate the general blending of humor uh, and the kind of free flowing nature with which that humor is incorporated. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair enough. I'd say it could get better for me. I, I, I think always it's just a case of expectations of what you think you might get. Even then being surprised at what you do get and then not still not being quite what you'd hoped as well. It's a strange thing, but there you go. Basically, um, I'm, I'm going to be yeah. a shill for any game that's set in New England. So this one's set oh, in Boston. Yeah, that's, so it. that's all it's about. It's yeah. all it's about. You've got, <laughs> got that New England money. <laughs> but so, uh, um, yeah, after yeah. Toilet Chronicles, you're going to lead us off with My Demon Wife. The one demo I believe that I did not get a chance to play. Yeah, this, I added this late in the day, so that's my fault, being slightly selfish. But um, I, I remembered that it was... I'd seen the game on Twitter before several times, and I was like, okay, sounds like an interesting concept. That concept being you are basically supposed to be this action hero badass that's somehow been enslaved to a demon, and is uh, you, uh, she is now your wife. And you're having to be subservient and do things for her, tidying up after massacres, essentially. Um, 
but at night, you know, you're just supposed to try and sneak out and gun down all the enemies and find ways to escape from this. And as a concept, I really like the idea of that, you know, because it's by their inhibition, it's you know, a game that's influenced by a certain breed of things. So, you know, it's they said, you know, stuff like Blood, Quake, Duke Nukem, movies like Brain Dead and They Live, music like Metallica and Guns N' Roses. So you, you get a picture of what kind of game it is. You know, it's again by their admission a low budget thing, and the sort of I like that vibe of it anyway. It's you know, you, know, you can tell that it is a low budget game in the best way, and you know that's why I think when you have stuff like Brain Dead as your sort of influence points, it's like yeah, that works with it. You know, I, I get it. It does have a comedic edge to it it's one of the boomer shooters that we have now i suppose if you want to call them that that really thinks of something different to do with it you know and i like that about it i like that it wants to do you know a bit of comedy bit of horror a bit of sim stuff and you know still being very much like oh yeah this is like some weird shit i missed in the 90s you know and yeah, I I love to see more of this again when it comes out. But yeah, the the idea of just you know your, your day job is sweeping up body parts, <laughs> your, your night job is shooting the shit out of anything outside. You know, and yeah, I, I think it could be a promising one. This one that is by uh, da, 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 did we say it was by? It's by Sleepwalking Potatoes <laughs> and Sim Fabric. Yeah, I mean again, great name. So yeah, that's uh, definitely one I, I'm hoping will fulfill its destiny well i'm sold on the concept of being uh enslaved by a demon wife so i'll definitely be checking that one out when i can get my hands on it yeah that's it yeah it's looking good so da, 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 da. our last uh steam's next fest title is uh signalis from rose engine yes yeah that's it. rose engine rose dash engine as they called it <laughs> so um, and this is uh, published by Humble Games, so technically IGN. Um, yeah, this was a game that I liked the look of mainly because of the, the visual style straight away. You know, it's this scuzzy future tech horror style sort of it's thing like going on. Analog sci-fi horror. Yeah, yeah, that, that's the word. I always forget analog is a term for a description for these sort of things for some reason. But yeah, it's... Um, I think one of the things straight away that struck me about it was just how scuzzy and event horizon-y it felt, you know, that it was, um, I was like, oh, okay. I, I didn't expect that out of it. It just, I expected something more, um, highbrow, I would say, which is, you know, it's not knocking the game at all. And saying that, I just, with a name like Signalis and the, the, the art for it, I just thought, okay, it's going to be, you know, a, a thinking man's, sci-fi horror and you know, there are aspects of that there but it's also just like ooh, yeah it's got some mean and nasty no bleakness to it and yeah I, I'm liking that juxtaposed with these sort of anime light sort of uh, cutscene bits and yeah you're basically unraveling this mystery that's the idea and having to escape these creatures like weird shadowy things that they're in basically scavenging to survive and yeah I, I just loved the aesthetic of this game a lot it took a while to sort of get into exactly what i was supposed to be doing but yeah it by the end of it it was like yep 
this is very much my shit, if you will. Yeah, I really appreciated how seamlessly it incorporates its very unique aesthetic and visual style and kind of just atmosphere with very traditional survival horror, you know, Resident Evil style gameplay, right? I mean, you kind of run that gamut of finding items, inspecting them, interacting, combining them. Like there's a puzzle where you find a key card that's broken in half. So of course you have to find duct tape to repair it and whatnot, which goes through kind of familiar uh, inventory management type things that again are very uh, near and dear to survival horror uh, gameplay design and whatnot. But I was appreciative of the fact that, you know, it captures this very particular scuzzy side of sci-fi horror that, you know, I love so much. And um, I also really appreciated the fact that it blends that top-down, you know, perspective when you're exploring. And then when you find an area that can be investigated further, you typically it's tied in with a puzzle or something it gives you that first person perspective and you're like at a computer console and then you can kind of freely look around and interact with different parts of a console or something of that nature, which I liked. It gave you a little bit more interactivity in a way that kind of just made that space feel more lived in or just, yeah. it allowed you to kind of facilitate the investigative side of things uh, a little bit better. Yeah. That, you know, the first space you really go into in that first person view, I think is like the cockpit area and it's just like oh it's a nice surprise and then it gives you a look a nice scene setting moment you know of what's where you are what's going on you makes it clear that you crash landed more than where you crash landed on this cold planet and you know <laughs> unfortunately this is like one of a million games that will probably be using the old space horror at the minute but you know and not to mention one set on a cold place uh but it'll probably be the one that comes out first I think this is out to due out in October. So, yeah, as you said, that dip from the uh, 2D, not 2D, but the uh, top down, is it? And, yeah, a bit of that, the old survival horror style inventory, the, the interactive bits, as you said. And, yeah, I just think it's a really interesting looking game. Brings to my, you know, if I was going to compare it to another game in terms of like tone, it feels a lot like a frictional games game. You know, Soma especially. And, you know, it taps into the idea of cosmic horror. And, yeah, I, I'm i very much wanting to see how this goes again. It seems, I don't know I'll repeat myself with that. But still, it is, this is when a demo is good. You know that you want to see more. And, yeah, it, it was a rough start for me just in terms of, like, what the fuck's going on? I don't know how to... And which can be the problem with most demos, I think, if they don't explain everything and you dropped in like mise-en-scene, if you will, and not where you're supposed to be uh, at the start of the game. And you're like, well, this doesn't feel right because I'm missing some context somewhere. And while it doesn't quite feel like that, it does feel a bit like, oh, okay, okay, what, what am I doing? Where am I going? But then I thought back to it and I was thinking, actually, that's quite indicative of like classic survival horror experiences you dropped into a situation fairly helpless when, and when you first start discovering things can kill you and then it's a case of just finding your way around that and you know i it really is like an old school survival horror in that regard it's very much about scarcity and and resource management 
you know that uh, could work nicely. Yeah, and I'll say for a majority of the demo, you know, if it didn't look the way that it did, and if it wasn't channeling that classic survival horror feel in terms mm-hmm. of you know the gameplay design and whatnot. You don't know a great deal about the world. There's not a lot given about it that really kind of like jumps out to you. I will mm. say the way that this ends, I could not be more excited to dive into this because like you said, and earlier for 90% of the demo, there's no indication of this, but the different avenues with which the horror nature of the narrative can take it being cosmic, it being definitely there's going to be some psychological horror elements in there that are pretty heavily uh, influ- implied at the end of that demo. Um, I really couldn't be more excited to dive into this just based off of the sort of stinger teaser ending of the demo. So, you know, it was really positive to see it be from a gameplay standpoint, seeming to be so strong for me. And then kind of being a little underwhelmed in terms of like, well, I want to know more about the world. What makes this unique? And then kind of ending on that teaser with it being more narrative focused or the potential for where the narrative could go. I can't wait yeah. for this game to come out. This is, you know, we've said most of these we definitely want to chat about in the future. <laughs> this is definitely going at the top of at least my uh, space horror list for uh, the end of the year, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, October is looking healthy, I think, for a few games now. So, yeah, right just before Halloween, yep. this will be a nice one for. Yeah, but so, uh, yeah. transitioning from Steam's Next Fest, let's dive into uh, some Tribeca demos that. You know, we mm. both got to play one, and then I was fortunate enough to play two that, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> you weren't able to. But I think uh, we'll have a good <laughs> Through conversation. Through my own stupidity. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for some reason, I talked myself out of believing the actual times and believe there were different times. I think it was the difference between PST, PT sort of thing. And, yeah, so, so I lazed away in the morning thinking, oh, don't have to do anything until the afternoon, and then realized... Not only had I missed the first demo, but the second demo as well. So I was like, fuck. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I got to play one of them. So that's something. <laughs> well, let's start with the one that uh, we both got to play, which is Oxen Free 2 Lost Signals. That is once again from Night School Studio. And this picks up, I believe, five years after the events of the original. Uh, and Riley returns to her hometown uh, to investigate mysterious radio signals. And uh, what she finds is more than she bargained for. Um, I guess, first and foremost, like as big of fans of Oxenfree as we both are, the original, um, I mean, what were you looking for in terms of a sequel? Like, what were you hoping that they would kind of delve into? And did the demo, was the demo reflective of that in terms of like the overall direction? How did you feel on it? Yeah, so I think sort of alluded to this last week when we were talking about Oxenfree 2 that, um, I liked the idea of where it was going, you know, in terms of like coming back to a different point in time, different story, but uh, having the backdrop of the island and the all the stuff that was there behind it. And I think the most telling thing about this is they've made it look like the same kind of game, but they've updated the art style and changed it slightly. So it, it, that in itself feels like their way of saying time has moved on, things have changed, but the island remains and the mystery is there. And the mystery itself of the island is throwing up new things, you know, in this brief, very brief uh, sliver we get, which was pretty much the footage they were showing at Tribeca at the time, you know, uh, when they were showcasing the game then. So you're playing through that where you 
sort of have a talk as you're climbing down some cliff faces to go into a cave, find basically a, a rip in time, which gets you to go back to, I think it's the 1800s, isn't it? Yeah, 1899. Yeah. yeah, and then go through the mines that way and to, because they are obviously up to spec to some degree at that point. Um, and yeah, then it basically ends with some that uh, little tradery bit they did and that was it and but it, it encapsulated what Oxenfree did really well you know like the conversational stuff was there you know that where it feels quite natural you're just walking along and you could just keep answering while you're doing it and you know take little fun turns with it and like tease your partner in crime and have fun like that way and then yeah, just little hints of what's to come, you know, like the little flash forward that happens as they're going through the mines that shows one of them basically dead and floating in the water. And yeah, and then it being sort of dismissed as well, don't quite know. But again, this we were, I was as I was saying with the demo for Technalis, that when you drop into something late into a game, you know, they it can be a bit difficult to sort of get your bearings of what you're doing but because this still does very much what the first game did you know in terms of feel and look it's not quite as jarring and quite handily there's like a wall of text before the demo starts saying this has happened so far this has happened so far you know without spoiling anything just to give you context of where you are in the story there you go and it does help just doing like, oh okay this makes sense no i know who this person is i know who that person is i know what they're doing here and little bits of conversation that you would otherwise be going uh like that yeah, make a bit more sense but yeah so as brief as it was it, it was absolutely a, a taste of another oxen free and i'm glad to see that it does just feel like a game that's moved on in time whilst also going back in time, which uh, thematically makes absolute sense. I will say this is the one demo that we're going to cover this week where as soon as it was over, I audibly exclaimed like as loud as hell, <laughs> what the fuck? I need more of this immediately because yeah. it was the type of thing where it gives you just enough that it kind of reminds you why you loved the original so much and it shows some pretty notable improvements while not redefining what the experience of Oxenfree was. And I think that, like you had said, there's definitely graphical updates that have been made and whatnot, but at the same time, not to a degree that it distracts from the core of that, which is their ability and continued ability to write very personable and humor-laced writing, right? In terms of interactions between characters, giving players enough variety in terms of, you know, the different ways in which they can kind of steer a conversation, but at the same time, those are brief deviations on a track that is in service of the overall narrative, right? And I think that that's more important for me than like, oh, what can I say here to drastically alter the course of this narrative or whatnot, right? I think that Mm. giving the player just enough input that they feel involved in storytelling while still, you know, being steadfast and this is the story that we're telling is something that can be really, really difficult to master, um, and I think that they have done a great job with Oxen Free and even with After Party to certain degrees. You know, that game yeah. overall, I was not as much a fan of, but I think their ability to, again, write characters in a way that feels very believable and makes it entertaining while not being 
overly slapstick or, you know, overly sentimental or this and that. Like it's just flows very naturally in a way that, uh, you know, mm. can be proven to be incredibly difficult in games. Um, and also, you know, a little thing that I liked was the introduction of the tear and using that. And I think there was a little of this in Oxen Free. Granted, it's been a while since I've revisited that one, but the way in which you use the tear with puzzles and whatnot, there was one little addition that I liked where, you know, you have to try to jump this gap essentially. And when you go into the tear back in time, it allows you to access parts of the mind that you can't in the present day. And that yeah. kind of channels how you're going to escape. Basically. I like that that is a timed sequence. And rather than giving the player, you know, quite literally like a timer or something to that effect or having the screen shake more violently, you just see the edges of the tear, like the rippling around it slowly, slowly starts to close in on the player. And that's, again, it's a minor thing, but I like that it's a furthermore kind of just refining of blending the the character's current day reality with the tear reality in a way that yes. doesn't feel overly intrusive. It kind of just feels very seamless in the, you know, presentation of all of these things. Um, and mm. yeah, you know, again, I'm a big fan of the original game and I think that Oxenfree 2 Lost Signals is shaping up the show that if you're going to make a sequel, it doesn't necessarily have to supersede the original game in like big drastic ways. I think that sometimes in the general discourse of sequels and games in general, people are like, well, this sequel is not doing anything all that different from the original. And it's like, well, if it's an updating on what they already did so well, that is more than acceptable, I find, with something similar to this that is, you know, so personable with their character development and the narrative that goes along with that, that I don't need them to take massive swings because they're going to keep refining what they do so well already. Yeah, and another thing that I sort of noticed with this was it was another one of those games where I'm playing it and then realizing something I liked and something we played recently again cropped up and why I liked it was a direct result of Oxenfree which was when we were playing Cut the Lights for Horror Bites the uh, text adventure thing and we were talking about how they you know those little narrative choices you have that aren't meaningful in a story progressing way but they flavor the text if you will and just make you react one way or the other and change subtle little things about it and it was playing this demo and he that's why I liked it because Oxenfree, Oxenfree did that sort of stuff. You know, there was, it was again because no game has really captured that vibe, you know, that that style of conversation quite as well. Even After Party didn't do it as well. You know, it was it still had great moments of that, but you know, Oxenfree was just it flowed in a way that was like wow, you know, and it felt, again to have it here was like oh, feels almost alien to have this sort of natural conversation system again that, um, yeah, I, I think some games have attempted it in the last few years, but which is why it doesn't feel quite as like, oh, you know, it's fresh in that sense. But yeah, it, it's very instantly was just distinguishable as like, yeah, this is night school. This is option free. Absolutely. Nothing has changed, but everything has, which is, as I said, perfect for the kind of story they're telling. Yeah. Absolutely. But that's, again, you know, I'm broken record at this point. It's one that we are going to be returning to, hopefully, Oof. before the year is out. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I really do. It feels like forever Yeah, with that one. 
I don't want it to get lost in in a, mon- a bunch of games that are bigger in terms of production budget and all that coming out. And because so many indie games with sequels and stuff have suffered that fate in recent years, and it's just they've been you know they've been good sequels. It's just they come out years after the fact and be like people are like. Oh. But I think Oxen Free has a better chance. Plus. It depends which version of Netflix decides to prom- help promote this game. You know, right. it's like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're probably a big reason why it's at Tribeca. Mm-hmm. You know, but are they going to treat it like here's the filler thing that you're not really going to care about and we're not really going to advertise? But yeah, you know, I know it's not going on Netflix in that regard. But you know, that they're, they're very iffy with how they promote things. So <laughs> I'm hoping, yeah. I'm hoping it's it's. One of the things they promote a bit more. Yeah, hoping they don't have the same level of attention or promoting their uh, their hidden gems like their movies, because uh, that could yes. be a disaster in and of itself. But um, I guess I'll leave it up to you. Which one uh, you want to hear about next? Immortality or a Plague Tale Requiem? Because those were the ones that you unfortunately didn't get hands on time with. <laughs> I know, which is gutting, especially with Immortality. <laughs> so we'll, we'll do Plague Tale first. We'll hear about that last, and then I'm only a little, little depressed by that. <laughs> So, so yeah, so yeah, play tale. Um, tell me about that. How how did that work out for you? Uh, so, Plague Tale, I you know obviously a big fan of the original game. We talked about it at length early on in uh, our safe room time together, and it picks up generally around you know I think it's the third chapter uh, where you know you're reunited with Amicia. And she's joined by Lucas, who is going to help you to get a certain, you know, herbal remedy that Hugo needs. And they briefly discuss Hugo is once again, you know, struggling with the powers that he has and how that can influence the rats and whatnot, which sends them through what is a familiar setup. You know, it's you're exploring this district and clearly like the district is being uh, furthermore, you know, the soldiers are beginning to shut down sections of the districts and the cities, and you can kind of feel what is happening in the first game is happening again, right? The plague is arriving. Yeah. It's beginning to take over. We're very much inundated once again with like neighborhoods that have the white X's on doors and whatnot when you're crossing through. The plague has gotten here and whatnot. And, you know, what ensues was very familiar in most ways. And overall, the experience itself just kind of felt like a natural continuation without taking any necessarily big strides or leaps from the original game. Mm. But I will say like it capitalizes on what was so well done in the original game, which is the sense of the period, the atmosphere, again, the crafting and the ways in which you can use the sling and how you can use that as you know a way to lethally take out guards with stones and whatnot but at the same time it's more interesting with the ways you can interact with light sources right which is various ways of extinguishing or igniting them to deal with either soldiers or the rats themselves for the that traversal um i will say in terms of things that are new i would just say overall it's the attention to environments and how much bigger environments can get not to say that environments overall were like minuscule or anything in the original game Mm. but you know the section that i got to play it just felt more expansive which was not only impressive but furthermore it kind of instills in the player that they really do need to not treat crafting as an afterthought which even though i like i played it on normal and it was still challenging because the wider that environment gets and the more behind enemy lines sort of nature of that game you really do have to manage your resources and go off 
the beaten path, as it were, to find more yeah. resources or find more uh, different sources of light and whatnot. So you can traverse the obvious uh, rat tornadoes and swarms that pop up and whatnot. <laughs> so I'll say I enjoyed my time with Requiem. It makes me excited to dive back into that world, get to see those characters. There was no real inclination as to whether or not the, you know, we briefly talked last week about whether or not morality is going to play a role in that game. Because, mm-hmm. you know, what we'd heard in trailers, when you start to kill people, the character you're with will comment on that. And that's part of the demo. Like at one point, you have the option to either help and essentially save a character or, you know, their fate is their own. And I didn't see really the results of making that decision other than, of course, the character I was accompanying with commented on it. But that didn't really play out in a dramatic way or a fundamental way other than just like a brief line of dialogue. Um, So the jury's still out on whether or not that's going to be a new facet of A Plague Tale. But so far, I would say if you enjoyed the original game, based on what I've played, this is more of what you've enjoyed. Um, And it'll be interesting to see the ways in which they're able to evolve on that. I guess the other gameplay thing that uh, I didn't mention that's new is you can now like hide under tables to avoid patrols and things like that, which again, not, not necessarily revolutionary by uh, a Plague Tale standards or stealth games in general, but it's giving the player another tool in their toolbox to avoid detection, which could play into some sort of morality. Do I kill this guard or do I wait for him to pass type of thing? So I'll be interested to see how that kind of rounds out. But yeah, you know, more A Plague Tale is always a good thing. And so I'm excited to see how Asobo Studios evolve on that. Yeah, I think there'll be more of a budget this time around. You know, I think I think there were stories, stories of the original game having its uh, budget pulled somewhat before the end of production, hence why there were limitations here and there. Was, you know, as we've remarked before, you know, that they do really well with those limitations but to really push this series on they need to have that spectacle a bit more and to make it you know it's filling a space that very few companies are doing you know the proper third person you know adventure with meaning and blockbuster appeal you know and so yeah outside what naughty dog you know probably at this point so yeah to have another studio do that and get a second shot at it and from what you're saying where there's more expansive feel to areas already I'm hopeful I'm hopeful I mean obviously the problem with these demos was they were done over a streaming thing so yeah your internet connection <laughs> may vary your experience <laughs> but you know did it seem to be running pretty nicely at this point? Yeah, there was only one hiccup that I had, which was I interacted with an item before I had an, the audio cue to do that. Ah. And I essentially trapped my companion whose help I needed behind a wall. <laughs> um, but that's such a brief technical thing that other than that, like even through streaming it and whatnot, like it looks fantastic, I thought. Um, I encountered very, very minimal hiccups and it just feels like you can feel the production value that's being added to that on top of the fact, you know, as good as the original game looked and just overall, like the presentation of that game, if anything, this I think is a strong indication that it's going to be even larger in the best way possible and not losing a lot of that detail. I mean, 
that's one thing that I was worried about, you know, going into the demo was, is that now, you know, having the critical and fan love behind it, and there's going to be a bigger budget, obviously, and it being part of Game Pass, I believe, um, unless I'm mistaken, like, you know, there's going to be more production there. So there is that worry always that like, is something going to be lost in that? But from the brief slice that I played, um, that doesn't seem to be the case. And I just can't wait to see, you know, the ways in which they're able to evolve on that. And if that facilitates a new gameplay options and whatnot, that'll be fantastic. Even if this demo wasn't necessarily representative of that, I still really, really enjoyed my time with it. And I can't wait to dive into it uh, later this year or next year. Oh, God, you know what? I've forgotten there's so many dates. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometime soon, and, you know, as soon as it's yeah. on Game Pass with that release, uh, as we've now repeated multiple times, we'll definitely be covering yeah. it for the show because, you know, we were both keen on the original. And so to get the next chapter in this saga, I think, is something we're both very much looking forward to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it is coming out this year, though. Uh, I think uh, that that is the official thing. So, um, yeah, I'm glad to hear that. So I think it was October, if I remember rightly. But oh my god, our October god. just got so busy. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that was the game I was thinking of. But yeah, yeah, no, I think it was just 2022. It was a vague window, so no confirmation on that one, other than that. But it's coming. So another game that's coming uh, that I'm glad I don't, I didn't play in a way, but also was extremely upset that I didn't get to play <laughs> which is Sam Barlow's uh, Immortality um, which you know again is a mix of you know real world and gamified stuff solving puzzles but in a very novel way you know and uh, you know, I, I'm not even going to try to go into describing that <laughs> as it is but you know basically a very David Lynch-esque mystery about an actress who started and just these three films and they were lost forever it seemed and then they were found and there's some sort of overlying mystery that ties all that together that is sinister um so first question i'll ask you on this one i suppose is how long a stretch of the game did you get to play so i got to have 30 minutes with the game and i will say you know as intriguing as this game is and i'm going to get to some praise in a moment this is definitely a game that I don't think should be demoed. I don't think that mm. 30 minutes gives you enough time to really almost by the time you wrap your head around the overall, because you know, the premise is very simplistic. Like you'd said, there is an yes. actress, uh, Marissa Marcel who made three movies, but they were never released. She's since gone missing. And all of a sudden you've been given access to various clips of this movie interviews, footage of audition reels, but also um, table reads between actors and whatnot. And you're kind of just given all of these clips and whatnot and then left to your own devices. So having a time crunch on something when you're not really given a lot of direction with, it makes for, you know, really a nail-biting sense of exploration, which I don't think does the game justice. But at the same time, like I'm entirely enthralled with this game in a way that I find I seldomly am with games in the sense that you're going through all of these different FMV videos and footage and whatnot. And, you know, you can play through them to try to find clues or find little things that maybe stand out to you, whether it be body language or, you know, specific items that pop up or somebody says something and it makes you think of something that was referenced in another clip. 
and you know you can play through them and pause them and whatnot. But what is really interesting from a gameplay standpoint is that you can pause a clip anywhere, and then there's like an investigative mode into that scene, and you can certain items or people's faces will have the option of you to select them. And when you select them, it takes you to that object or that person in another one of the clips of a movie or an interview that you have access to. And so it kind of like allows the player to leapfrog their way through this footage that they have and begin to piece together things that can maybe begin to sort of unravel this mystery. Um, One thing that, again, I'll say about having a time crunch with this is that there's such an overwhelming amount of media. The way in in which you interact with it too, you've never really been able to do in a game before. Um, I believe, you know, granted, I haven't played his other games. My understanding was a majority of those were you're looking for certain phrases or it's presented as like, these are interrogations with other characters. Whereas with Immortality, a lot of what you're given overall is seemingly innocuous, right? You're not looking for you know, one line of dialogue or a scene where somebody is like seen fighting with the actress in the background of a clip or something, right? And then being yeah. like, oh, maybe that person's behind their disappearance. It 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 just feels so much more multi-layered and again, inundating the player with so much and it, it feels overwhelming initially, honestly, the amount that you're given. But once you really do become familiar with the mechanics of the game, the ways in which you can interact with media you start to think differently about how you would solve a puzzle. Honestly, it's probably the closest I've ever felt to actually feeling like you're like a private investigator or something. The ways in which you're able to begin to piece together and specifically highlight reels of each bit of information in a way that is not only seamless, but the lack of handholding initially is like quite frightening, especially when you have a time crunch because you're like, shit, I need to start piecing (laughs) this together and that together. And how do I do this? What am I looking for? But it's a game that I think when you have enough breathing room, you have the mechanics and the fundamentals there that you can begin to really dissect these so meticulously in a way that's never really been viable in games before because of, you know, the parameters or more so making sure players don't get lost in terms of what they're doing or what they're prioritizing. There's a level of player freedom and immortality that really does feel unrivaled uh, in a way that I have not experienced previously. That's good to hear. I have to say it. So, again, I'm kind of relieved that I didn't play it in that regard, just because I do feel I want to be in on it fresh. But yeah, just you know, this, everything I've heard about it and so far has just been like, okay, this just intrigues me more like the stuff that you were talking about there with the the clicking on little bits and you know they focused on that in Tribeca and that straight was like oh wow yeah that sounds cool I like that and yeah just that and the general like you know very unseen mystery to it all that that is you know promised but isn't being pushed as the main thing about it so yeah I'm really very hopeful about this one. So that, yeah. Initially, again, it was kind of jarring not directly mm, being told understand. what you need to be on the lookout for, but the longer that you're in this world and you're exploring this, really, it makes you just want to revisit and think outside the box in terms of the way that you're processing what's happening or to go back and revisit something. Like maybe you begin to connect the dots between something 
all of a sudden it gives you a new insight and kind of like rewires your brain in the way that you're supposed to analyze different clips and different relationships and paying attention to mannerisms in performances that you normally would probably only do with something like film. Um, you know, I thought that that was a level of integration between video, you know, traditional medium of film or interviews and like talk show type things. Like there's a yeah. clip where it's essentially like a recreation of Johnny Carson and characters are doing interviews and things like that. And just picking up on little mannerisms between different characters is something that you can start to pick up on in other clips. And it's mm. not done in a really in your face kind of way. Um, and, you know, again, just the seamless blending of jumping from one clip to another based on, oh, well, he's using this lighter here. If I pause and click on the lighter, it'll take me to another scene that's associated with that lighter. And then yeah. maybe another character is using that lighter now, but it's his lighter. So the ways in which you start to analyze media, you know, it really does make you feel like you are an investigator. You know, it doesn't, it's not the typical thing of like a murder mystery in a game where it's like, okay, this guy's suspicious and you get a little box of who to keep track of. It's really up to the player to have the wherewithal to be like, I am invested in this mystery. I'm going to get as much of, I'm going to get as much out of this as I put into it essentially, which I think is a rare thing for games these days, right? I think that yeah. it's one of those games that people are 1000% going to bounce off of if they're not into this for what oh, it yeah. is. But I think, you know, for people like you and I that are looking for games that, push our expectations or, you know, really push players to take more ownership of solving or just our own level of interactivity with the resources given or provided by devs. Like this game, I thought displayed that in a way that while I don't know, it was serviced in sense of like, this is a demo, a 30 minute demo at the same time. Like I could not be more intrigued to see how this game shapes out. And I believe this as a July uh, release date. I believe so. Yeah, I think that's yeah, end of July, one, isn't it? Yeah, so very soon. It's weird to feel like it's that soon. Yeah, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, there it is. Um, so yeah, glad to hear it. As I said, and won't be long before we find out more. And you know, I'm sure any number of games that we've uh, chatted about will definitely be covering once they're fully released uh, later this year. Hopefully, for the most of them. This was uh, fun to kind of do a roundtable of a lot of bits and bobs of things that are on the uh, foreseeable future. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to maybe diving into a few of them later this year. Yeah, it felt like a, a nice part two to last week. Yeah. You know, we we front loaded all the big stuff and uh, like getting hands on with a few things, you know, and it was quite nice having that. That's, a, that's the nice offshoot of uh, this time of year that you have these experiences that you can just try at home and just uh, put stuff out there. But yeah, there's, there's so much in the next fest stuff that, you know, even beyond horror and it was just, there's some really great discoveries to be found in there. So yeah, I'm really happy to have had a, a chance to play all these games, you know, especially for the first time in many cases and uh, have, you know, hopes confirmed in some ways and um, having, those fresh things come up and go, oh, yeah, add that to the old wish list sort of thing, which is you know, a pretty healthy result. I think we got out of the uh, things we sort of picked through this. Absolutely, yeah. But uh, until next week, and uh, as always, Neil, it's a pleasure chatting horror with you for Safe Room. I catch you.
Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. If you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod for show update. You can also tweet us or email us at saferoompod at gmail.com if you'd like to share your thoughts on a game we're going to cover next. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next Monday.